This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Hey, Faith Christian Family Church, I welcome you again today. So, so blessed that you would spend your morning here with us and get back into the Word of God. So I believe God's going to, He's going to speak to your heart today. The goal again for every one of us is to let the Word of God teach us. So I'm going to give you our scripture references where we're going. We're going to 1 Corinthians 6, then we'll go to Exodus 20. After Exodus 20, we'll be in 1 Samuel 5, then 1 Samuel 6. And so in that order, so I'm going to give you just a second. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I speak blessings. I speak healing over all of you. And again, oftentimes the things that we complain about, it, it reveals many times in my own life the very thing I care the most about and so even like the Israelites, I've, I've found out if I'm not careful, if I don't stay with the Word of God, I always have an option or a, a way out. So let's let the Word of God be our, our truth today and let, let the Word teach you, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The, the definition of the, right, of the unrighteous is those who practice evil. Those who practice evil will not inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, do not be deceived. Do not be misled. Make no mistake. Now, when I read the first two parts there, I wonder how many of us is in our society right now are misled. And the reason I say that, I'm misled, I'm deceived and the way that locates me is, do I, do I practice unrighteousness? Do I live in a way that I'm not supposed to? He goes on to say, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so what you find out here is you have a catalog of sin. And this is what he begins to describe. Now, what's important here is I must let the Bible define what unrighteousness is. Not mankind. Let, let verse 9 and 10, let it define that. And so for every one of us in here, as a sinner, I, I have a choice to go to hell if I want to. But also as a sinner... I can also experience heaven or I can experience getting born again because every Christian, we all have a background. Every person that's born again has come out of something. And if you don't believe that, just look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Yeah, there was a couple of those that marked my life. But you were, you were washed. And that word washed there means you were cleansed from sin. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified. You were totally accepted in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you'll note there at the end of verse 11, by the Lord Jesus. When I, I make Jesus Lord of my life, he becomes my master. And if, if you read into verse 11, he said, by the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of, of God. The only way I'm going to get set free is through the Lord Jesus. The only way that I'm going to walk in freedom is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I believe was happening here is we must 
tell people the truth. And when you look at what the apostle Paul was saying here, he didn't condemn the person. He, he condemned the, the uh, practice. And so get a hold of this today. Now, this is where I'm going on this. When I begin to look at the catalog of sin in verse 9 and 10, there was one of them that kind of stood out to me in a different way, and that was the word idolater. In translation after translation, it said that, the idolater. The New Living said they worship idols. Now, when I look at this in, in the New Testament, I have the thought, why would that be in there? We don't, we don't serve idols. We don't bow to idols. But yet, you find this back in the New Testament, so there's a little more to it than, than what we realize. So go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and as you're going to Exodus 20, th this is going to tie into where we left off last week. And so as we begin to navigate through the scriptures this morning, I'm going to take us back to where we were last week. Now, once you get to Exodus 20, what you're going to find out is this is the chapter on the Ten Commandments. It wasn't the Ten Suggestions, but the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1. And God spoke all these words, saying. And God spoke all these words, saying. God gave all the people these instructions or principles on how to live or how to live wisely. Now, many times when we look at the Ten Commandments, a lot of people have the thought, they're a bunch of rules. But when I look at them as more principles for me, the way to live, that changes everything. When I think about rules, I think about when I go to the swimming pool. And the swimming pool, it has rules. No running, uh, no glass, no diving in the shallow end. Here's a good one for you at the pool. No peeing in the pool. But when I look at, at the, the commandments of God, these were given to lead uh, Israel into a life of, of practical holiness. And the other side of the Ten Commandments, we begin to see God's heart and God's nature in these. So, so don't, don't view them as rules. View them as principles for me to live life in a way of holiness. Now, I, I'm going to stop just a minute before I keep going on this. Last week in the book of Judges 21-25, we talked about how the nation of Israel was in a really, really dark time. It said in that verse, it was because the people did what was right in their own eyes. Now, just for a little bit in your life, how would your life look if you did things with what you thought was right in your own eyes? I know where that leads my life to because without the guidelines, I thank God for these principles God gives us because without these, I would either be dead or I would be in jail. And so I thank God for these principles. Now let's dig in here a little deeper. Verse number two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. He rescued them. You shall have no other gods before me. And so God's character, it demands his loyalty. And the, uh, the, the believer, he demonstrates his loyalty by only worshiping this one true God, Yahweh. And so God begins to define some things here real quick. Verse number four. 
You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And so what he says here, you will not worship anything that flies, that walks or swim in heaven or earth or the sea. And so he literally was saying, only me, only me. Now, when we look at verse 4, oftentimes we have the thought, well, that, that was very primitive. That's very irrelevant to the way we live right now. I've, I've never carved an image out of wood. And I've never made some image out of metal like he was talking about. And so why would God bring this up to us? Again, we find that back in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 6. I believe personally these gods and these idols, they're still around today. They just look a little different. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now remember the Israelites have just come out of Egypt. And when they left Egypt, they were, uh, they were around uh, many idols. They were around many false gods that they were familiar with. And so again, he's beginning to tell them, you're not to bow to any of them. You're not to serve any of them. And so in that statement right there, an idol is anything that's given sacred value or power. Anything that has mastered me. Now, is there anything in my life right now that I've given sacred value or power to? I'm going to ask you five questions, and this may help you identify this. Number one, what controls my thoughts and my energy? Number two, what do I, I devote my time to? Number three, what controls my bank account? Number four, what fills up my calendar? And the last one is, what do I sacrifice for? Because if any of those questions are answered anything than Father God, then it's a form of idolatry in my life that I am bowing or serving something other than Father God. Do you know when addiction can become a God? It dominates my life. And so this may help you. What, what gets my time, what gets my money, and what gets my energy? Now, right now in our society in America, they, they say that four of the major idols in our land are being dealt with. Number one, the God of sports. Now, I, I can look in the camera and I can tell you, if I'm not careful, I can spend hours watching sports. Is God against sports? No, God's not against sports until it starts dominating me, until all my energy, all my time, and even my resources go to that. The second one is the God of entertainment. Right now, they say Netflix is going out of control because so many people are watching it. Their, their uh, popularity is soaring. They say in America right now, the average person is watching eight hours of TV. Has that become my God? The next one is the God of money where I'm dominated by, by covetousness. And the last one is the God of me that begins to, to say, self, 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 self. And so if I'm not careful, I have to ask the question again, do I bow down to these? Do I serve these? These are the idols, the gods of my life that crash or, or go after to the throne of my heart. He ends in verse five with this, or the middle portion, he says, for I, the Lord, your God, I am a jealous God. 
The New Living says, I will not tolerate your affection for other gods. Now, when I read this here and it says, I am a jealous God, that doesn't sound real good. But when we see the heart of God, God is jealous for our heart. God is, is into to wholehearted de devotion. He loves us too much to share us. And so our God is not into cohabitation. Now, to help you with just this a little bit here, that our God is a jealous God, it's very similar to me to a marriage covenant. When I choose to get married and, and I make these vows to my spouse, I say to you, I'm going to be faithful to you. And usually it ends with until death does me part. So I've made these vows, and in my life it was to Shelley. To be faithful to her my whole life. Now, think about this in our life with our relationship to the Lord Jesus. You made a vow to make him Lord of your life. Now, if he's Lord of your life, then he's master. And so let's just say here the analogy that me and Shelly are married. And so I've been married to her. And before long, I have the thought, well, it's okay if I begin to flirt with other women. Ah, Shelly won't get mad at it. She knows that I love her. She knows that I made those vows to her. And then before long, it leads from just flirting, and I ask another woman out for dinner, and I have the thought, Shelly's okay with that. I take her out to dinner all the time. Let me, think, let, me, let, me, let me help you think through this process right here. How would that look if the, the, the roles were reversed? I wouldn't be real happy about that. So we made this vow to the Lord Jesus for him to be Lord of our life. And so when you see this statement, our God is a jealous God, you cannot fully understand idolatry without understanding our God is a jealous God. God is not into sharing us, okay? And so what tries to replace that are these things called idols. Now I'm going to have you go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I've got to review part of what we talked about last week because this is all going to tie in. If you were here last week, remember that the nation of Israel was in bad shape. Part of the reason was because the high priest Eli and his two sons, the priest Hophni and Phinehas, they lived in unrighteousness. They lived in sin. They didn't do what God desired them to. And so at one time, the Philistines, they attacked the Israelites. And remember, the Israelites lost. And they got mad and they said, where was God in all this? But had they turned their back on God? Had they committed spiritual adultery with God? So they wanted God to move in their life, even though they didn't want to live for him. So if you remember this, they had the thought, we'll just bring the Ark of the Covenant up. And the Ark of the Covenant will protect us. So they had this plan. All we got to do is have the, the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant. It was God's presence. It was God's glory. But also in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. So the Israelites had the thought, we can break the Ten Commandments. But when we need God, we just snap our fingers and God shows up on the scene. Well, when that happened... God wasn't in the plan. So we remember if we go back and we look, and this is all 1 Samuel 4, they lose, they lose 30,000 soldiers in one day. Hophni and Phinehas, the priest, they die in one day. 
When Eli, the high priest, gets word that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, the Bible said that he was old, his eyes were dim, and he was heavily overweight. He falls backwards, or he falls backwards, and he breaks his neck. He had a daughter-in-law who was given birth during childbirth. She dies, but in that process, she has a son, and she names him Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord had departed. Now, we ended last week that the Philistines had taken the, the Ark of the Covenant, and so this is where we pick up. Now, the reason I'm highlighting this, this is showing you the effects of idols. 1 Samuel 5, verse 1. Then the Philistines, they took the ark of God and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. This was a result of Israel's sinfulness. But even because of Israel's sinfulness, this did not excuse the behavior of the Philistines. So they have the ark of the covenant and they go to this area called Ashdod, verse 2. So when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon And they said it by Dagon. Now, first of all, if I'm mispronouncing this, don't get mad, okay? It's pronounced several different ways. But for today, we're just going to call it Dagon. When you look at Dagon, Dagon was the god of the Philistines. He was an idol. He was better known as a fertility god. One of the characteristics of the gods of of Dagon was this. When they worshipped him, part of their worship was to sacrifice their children. And so when you, you read about the, the God of Dagon, the D-A-G in Dag in the Hebrew, it literally meant fish. So this, this idol was formed that his upper torso, his arms and his head looked like a human. From the waist down, he looked like a fish. And so you begin to see in this passage here that they took the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and they set him right by Dagon. What was going on with this in the, in the Philistines' eyes, they were saying this, that the victor stood next to the vanquished. And they believed the vanquished, which they thought was the Ark of the Covenant, was giving tribute to the victor, the God of Dagon. So what they were literally doing, they were taunting the great Jehovah. Now, in God's eyes, this isn't how he viewed it. This is how God viewed it. God looked at the prophetic standing next to the pathetic. Now, some of the stuff we're getting ready to read to me becomes very comical. Verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the morning, there was Dagon falling on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So when you see that he's, he's falling on his face before the ark of the Lord... He didn't fall at his side. He fell before the ark of the Lord, meaning that he was worshiping God. It goes on to say at the end of verse 3, so they took Dagon and they set it in its place again. That They picked him up again. Now, when I read this, you can't imprison the presence of God. You can try, you can try to put God in a box, but it's not going to happen. Verse 4. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon falling on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold, and only Dagon's torso was left therein. 
And so when you see that it was broken off, one translation literally said it was cut off. And so his, his arms and his head had literally been dismembered. Now, when I read that right there, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to worship this idol who falls at the feet of the other one and his head and his arms are dismembered. So this gets the, the Philistines' attention. Verse number 5. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into the Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So what happened when this took place? This was such a profound catastrophe in the Philistines' eyes that they would not even step on the threshold where the limbs and the head of this idol had been dismembered. Now again, you would think this would cause them to want to serve God, but it didn't. Now I'm going to read verse 6, and I'm going to go into detail on this, and there's some things that are going to be brought out here that are literally pretty gross, but I'm just telling you, get ready for some of the stuff I'm getting ready to tell you. Verse 6, But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. Again, you shall have no other gods before me. And he ravaged them, and he struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its entire territory. So what takes place here is because they worship this false idol, it said that God, he ravaged them. Literally what takes place is he ravaged them with tumors. When I begin to study this in the Jewish commentary I love to look at, it said he ravaged them with hemorrhoids. Literally, this is what it says. He ravaged them. So they were very painful. And oftentimes in our life, when the truth comes to the truth can be painful. And so this, this tumor, these hemorrhoids, they struck them in the private parts of their life or the private part of their body. So I begin to study this more and more and more. And what takes place here is not only did they become ravaged with these, these hemorrhoids, God released swarms of rats into their society. And while these people would be tending to themselves to try to relieve themselves from the pain of these hemorrhoids, now this is where it gets gross. The Bible says, that, that or, or the Jewish commentary says, these rats would enter up into their bodies and they would pull out their bowels. That's a pretty sick thought, isn't it? And so when I begin to read this, I had the thought, superstitions, they die hard. But in reading this, our God, the great Jehovah, the only God, you know what he does? God makes a statement. And you know what God is saying in that station, in, in that statement? Don't compare me to other gods. Don't put me at the same level as idols. Don't think that I will bow or serve them. So when I read this right here, I believe this is to me and you. This is what our God thinks about idols. Verse 7. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. 
They, they knew this was, this was because of God. It wasn't by chance. But again, when I read this and they say this about God, you would think, I, I don't want to worship the God of Dagon anymore. I want to worship the true God, the living God. But they would never turn to him. Verse 8. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the, God of, uh, the ark of God of Israel away. Now if you'll note, they carried away. They didn't drag it away. And so you know what they're saying? Get, get the ark of the covenant away from us. We don't want that anymore. Chapter number 6, 1 Samuel 6, verse 1. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest or the divineers, which is off the word of divination. They called the divineers or the ones in the divination saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. Now, when I read this here, the, the word divination is, is rooted in witchcraft. It talks about mediums. It talks about people that were in astrology. They looked to everything but God. And I will tell you right now, don't mess around with this stuff, okay? This is what got the Philistines. When I look to anything other than false, uh, to, to God, it's false. It's no good. So they go to, to these ones into witchcraft and say, what will we do? Verse 3. So they said, if you send away the ark of God of Israel and do not send it empty, but all means return it with a trespass offering or a guilt offering, then you will be healed. And it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. So they knew if we were healed, they knew it because God's hand. It wasn't by accident or coincidence, but it's real interesting here. These ones in the witchcraft said, send it back with a guilt offering. In other words, it was more like an apology. We're sorry. Verse 4. Then they said, what is the trespass or the guilt offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats according to the numbers of the Lord of the Philistines for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Well, guess what they tell them? Let's send five golden hemorrhoids and five golden rats now, wouldn't that be fun to put on your desk for the rest of your life? And so they are highlighting the things that were brought upon them, which was a curse, okay? Verse number five. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you and from your gods and from your land. Now, Instead of honoring God the way God asks us to do, they start thinking this is the way to do it. Again, God tells us to worship him. God tells us to give him the glory and only him. And so I believe this is where we get into trouble. When we think we can figure out how we want to worship God, how we want to praise God. That's not how God asks us to do it. We do it the way he asks. Verse number six. 
Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians? Pharaoh hardened their hearts. Why did he mighty things among them? Did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now, I I jump verse 5, but I want to go back to it. And he says in there, Therefore you shall make images of your tumors, image of your rats that ravage the land. Listen to this. And you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. I highlight this. You shall give glory to the God of Israel. They knew what was right, but they never did it. So I ask you this day right now. Who do you give your glory to? The prophetic or the pathetic? See, every time I read this right here, it shows me God doesn't view idols as little things. He didn't view idols as little things back then or even now. And so I ask you this question. What is the Dagon of your life? Do you serve other things? Do you bow to other things? And so here's the big thing. The Dagon of my life has got to go. The Dagon of your life must fall. And so we can go back to where we begin. Because of their unrighteousness. And one of it was idolatry. And and we look at what began to take place in the nation of Israel. This is a big thing to God. It still is. And so right here as, as we're standing before God. We have an opportunity to give a trespass offering. A guilt offering. And you know what our trespass offering is? Our guilt offering is? The heart of repentance. The heart of repentance means, one, I'm to confess my sin. God never condemns the person. He condemns the practice. Is there there sin in my life? Have, Have I given my heart over to idols? In the Greek word for repentance, it means a a change of mind. It means a change of mental perspective, but not only to change in my mental perspective, that I start living my life through that change of my mind. See, again, there's times we've repented of our sin, but we had no desire to change. And so I'm going to have our praise and worship team sing here just for a little bit. And what I want you to do is I want you to look into your own heart and say, Father God, I, I, I repent if I bowed to the God of sports, if I serve the God of entertainment, the God of money, the God of self, if, if I've looked to anything other than you, and I believe God wants to heal your heart. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.